0: Jesus, the Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. Good morning, Father. Get me out of your way that your truths would be lifted up and you would be glorified. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There's so much to talk about on this. It's very exciting stuff. And um, nothing's more exciting in the Scripture, and you're going to see this in Acts chapter 15. We're going to dive deep into two areas of Acts chapter 15. We're going to dive the deepest at the beginning because um, of what the issue is. It's Christianity versus religion, and the issue is a salvation issue. So in Acts chapter 15, we're going to see already what does it take to be saved becomes the forefront of the issue. Uh, for the early church. This is the first doctrinal challenge the church gets right as they're still sharing the gospel out there. So first, let me just recap a few things. Um, uh, Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was a physician, he was well-educated, and is considered a very accurate church historian. So the book of Acts the book of Luke, are historical narratives. They're not Grimm's fairy tales to try to give you a moral. They are historical narratives. They're history. History that has miracles in them. History that talks about Jesus Christ, the God-man. History, factual, real-life events that took place in time and space. That's what the collection of the scriptures are. If it's not history, it tells you it's not history. Proverbs is not history. It's, it, but it's placed within time and history. Solomon wrote them. But literally speaking, they're Proverbs. They're Psalms. It's either poetry or their are wisdom nuggets. All right? But we recognize that there are different form of literature. So if anyone ever says to you, do you take the Bible literature- literally? The only right answer is yes. You bet you take the Bible literally because it's literature. There's no other way to take the Bible but literally. All right? Now, what they mean in America is, means, do you not recognize the literary devices in the Bible? And do you just take things like a, a, a fool? You know, when Jesus says, pluck out your eye, do you literally pluck out your eye? Well, no, that's a hyperbole. In literature, we recognize when someone exaggerates something to prove a point. Alright, so you have to use that because you cannot cut off enough of your body to not sin. Alright, and Jesus is making a point there. So, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, so let's get into this. Um... Now, we're getting into Paul's missionary journeys. He did three that are recorded in the book of Acts. We just finished um, his first missionary journey. He comes back to his home church in Antioch, and he reports on what's going on. He'd go out, he'd speak to the Jews, and then the Gentiles would hear it. The, The Jews would come to Christ, Gentiles would come to Christ, and the groups of Gentiles and Jews that didn't come to Christ tried to attack him and kill him. But the ones that did come to Christ, a church was started. And then he would go on to the next church. So, a lot of exciting stuff was going on. And so now he brings this back to Antioch and he reports on it. His first missionary journey again, here's his home base, Barnabas and Paul's home base is in Antioch. And then they sailed down here to the island of Cyprus. And then they came back up here into Asia and wandered around a bit, you know, and then went back. All right, so they're back. Their first missionary journey is done. Missionary journey means they went out to talk about Jesus, to tell the gospel message. They didn't go into the synagogue and invite people to synagogue. They went into the synagogue and invited people to Jesus. All right? That's what we as Christians are called to do, is invite people to Jesus. Why do you have Antioch twice? Because there? uh, there's several Antiochs. Oh, okay. um, there's, a lot of cities have different names. Like right now, if you were to go to Maine... The state that also represents the New England Patriots who won the Super Bowl. Oh, did I mention that out loud? All right. Um, in Maine, there's a China Maine. There's a Peru Maine. There's a Mexico Maine. All right? Now, clearly, it's not warm up there. All right? So there's lots of places where states where in countries where some of the c- cities are the same names. That's what that's all about. And that allowed me to talk about New England Patriots winning the Super Bowl. Did I mention that again? All right, so, <laughs> so now we're in Acts chapter 15, they verses one. What? They, they, pump the they pump the balls up correctly. <laughs> okay, Don't so. explain his ego. <laughs> <laughs> All right, while in Antioch, they're back at their home church, Paul and Barnabas, and then something interesting happens. Men from Judah. Judea. And actually, not just men, Christians. Christians from Judea, Jewish Christians from Judea, Acts 15.1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Whoa! Well, wait a minute. Are the Jews required and commanded in the Old Testament to circumcise on the eighth day? Yes. Well, wait a minute. Well, what about all these Gentiles who came to the faith and all this? Didn't we read a lot of these stories? Well... What do we do here? This stirred up a controversy. And this ain't no small topic, because it's a topic of being saved. It isn't a talk of, topic of church obedience. This is whether or not a person goes to hell or heaven. This is important, right? Yeah. This is a salvation issue. Now, I'm going to point out something. The very first battle. There's no difference between that statement than when the devil went to Eve in the garden and said, Did God really say? Did He really say that? What really do you need to do to be saved? Certainly, man has to contribute something to go to heaven. It's always, always attacking the work of Christ on the cross. And you're going to see this pattern in all world religions. They come up to the cross and they say, Sorry, Jesus, I know it's all gruesome. You died and bled on the cross and everything. But hey, it wasn't enough. Thankfully, I'm coming along with my own pocket of righteousness to finish the job. You couldn't do, Jesus. Is that right? Well, that's exactly what that means. So we're going to go deeper in this. It's always about man doing something to earn heaven. You know you're in a religion and not Christianity when somebody comes up to you with a checklist and says, hmm, have you done this? Oh, you're not saved yet. Have you done this? Oh, you're not saved yet. Oh, oh what about this one? Check, 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 check. All right? All right, there's a song that do, do, do. Ba, all right, it's all about doing. If you don't do it, you're not going to get to heaven. That's a big problem because there's nothing you or I could do to ever, ever, ever come close to the holiness of God because we don't know how evil, evil, evil we really are. To think for a second that, oh, finish the job, is bad. All right, man really wants to keep a little glory in our pockets. We really do. We want to have the final say and be more sovereign than God. Um, come on there we go so here is from a website of a church in Hampshire County and uh, here's right, their doctrine statement, right off their website I pulled it this morning because I knew it was there first they say this we believe the Bible teachers uh, teachers, that's a, they got to check into that I just cut and paste, we believe the Bible teaches that salvation, the forgiveness of sins is only by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ, sure We could all agree with that. Except then they unpack what that means. Right below it. We believe the Bible teaches that one receives grace by putting faith in Christ, repenting of sins, confessing Christ, now look at the yellow highlighted stuff, and being immersed into Christ, some form of baptism. But... That no one of these is sufficient in and of itself for the assurance of salvation. Whoa! They totally just redefined what only by grace means. They just totally repackaged it. Now, I know you're some, sit, sitting there going, well, aren't we supposed to repent? Yeah. Aren't we supposed to put our faith in Christ and confess Him as the Savior and Lord? Yes. Are we to be baptized? Absolutely! It's a command of God. So what's wrong with this? I think they have it absolutely backwards. And let's look at this. First of all, but that none of these are sufficient in and of itself for the assurance of salvation. None of these works of man is sufficient. But if you do all these works, check, 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 then you've made it. You're saved. Congratulations. You did it. Give yourself glory. Thank you very much. See, this is totally backwards. Here's what I'm going to suggest, what Scripture teaches. Uh, well, first of all, if man has any part in saving himself by some kind of action, means God's plan to sacrifice Christ is not enough. We humans must finish the job. It's the absolute epitome of blasphemy we could do to God. Is to say, I have a checklist in my pocket, God, and when I've done these, I'm saved. Whether you like it or not. Alright? That's, that's bad. Here's what this should say. I flipped it to what I believe the scripture teaches objectively. The evidence that one has received the grace of God and is already saved is the following. They have faith in Christ. They repent of their sins and they confess Christ and are baptized as commanded by Jesus. Only a saved person can repent. Only a saved person can follow Christ. Only a saved person can confess Christ. And only a saved person will truly follow Christ in baptism. Now, look at that. See how it's flipped from theirs? They say the Bible teaches that one receives grace. By doing, by faith in Christ, repenting in sins, and confessing Christ and being baptized. And if you do all those, then you'll get grace. I'm suggesting to you that the scripture teaches that you receive grace by God's choice alone, and bam! Now, you say, I want to follow Christ. I want to obey Christ. I want to do what Christ tells me to do. He commands me to be baptized. He, repen- he commands me to repent. Do you understand? They got the cart before the horse. Now, if you look more carefully, what's up here is a work of God, not a work of you and your awesomeness. It's a work of God. Down here, it's a work of man. You understand? Up here, God has 100% control over you. Down here, you're your own God. Which is blasphemous? Who gets the glory? Who gets 100% of the glory in this one? God does. Who at least gets some glory, some credit? Here. You do. Right? Why do we want to do that? This is what the devil does. The devil says, I want to be God. I want to have final say on me. Do you understand? That's blasphemous. That's really bad. There's a whole doctrine based off this called Arminian theology. Based off man working their way to heaven. They can lose their salvation. All this bad stuff that steals the glory of God and tries to give it to man. It's very blasphemous. Now, there's this apologist who's uh, a Canadian, even, and uh, his name is Cy Ten Bruggenkate. All right, he's got a weird name, but he's, he's, he's a legitimate dude. And he's an apologist, means he, he'll debate atheists, he'll debate anybody, and he'll bring in logic, he'll bring in science, he'll, he'll think, and he'll help the atheists think logically. Because, really, an atheist at the end of the day can't think logically, they're broken. Um, and in one debate, this is how best he explained it. This is what he said to the atheist. You need to beg God to grant you repentance. Because that atheist didn't even think, if God exists, he's going to let me in anyway. And Sai and told him, you need to beg God to even grant you the ability to repent. Because that person had no way, shape, or form was even, it wasn't on the radar of the planet that he would ever yield or repent to God. God was his enemy. He hated God. He hated everything about God because that's what atheists do. They know God's there and they hate him. They are his enemy. Alright? That's what, that's their real heart's motive and they're just trying to gather reasons to throw it in God's face why they hate him. Well, cancer. And, and I heard an atheist this week say that if I stood before the throne of God, and I, first thing I'd say to him, cancer and children. What type of God are you? Did I repeat that from last week? I think I did. Alright? And that's what this atheist would say to God. Well, what's wrong with that? Atheists claiming to be more moral than God. Alright? That's evil. That is so rebellious. That I mean, that is a puppet of the devil to the nth degree. But a person can't repent unless God enables the person to do so. That's why your friends, family, and neighbors, you share Jesus, and it is not registering at all. You tell them what the meaning of the cross is, and it doesn't, they don't care. And if you push them on it, they'll fight you on it. Now let's look at what Jesus said, because you know, you know, Jeff. You know, it's kind of uncomfortable to think that God truly has sovereign control over me, and it's rightly so. That's what it means—the fear of the Lord—that is the step of holiness. Here's what Jesus said about it in, in the Gospel of John, chapter six, six sixty-three through sixty-six. Um, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now this is a capital S spirit, the Holy Spirit. Who gives you and I life? Our good intentions, our good work, our amazing sensitivity to things, how we're really okay and how in the Super Bowl, one of those Microsoft commercials, the lady's got a tech bus and she's got the kids in there and she's got a microphone. She says to the kids, look in the mirror and what do I see? And the kids repeat it, my best friend looking back at me. And the kids repeat it and I'm like, oh my devil. It's like, well, don't we want to teach our kids self-respect? We want to teach them God respect. God respects us. We spank our kids when they do wrong. We don't teach our kids to do wrong. They know how to do wrong. We teach them to do right. Right? But they are not going to look in the mirror in Scripture and go, Aren't I great? Woo-hoo-hoo! Right? The mirror of the scripture shows, oh, oh, ow, oh, that's me. Oh, that's bad. But boy, is God good. God is so gracious. You understand? You understand? God gets the glory. It's the Spirit who gives life. What does it say about the flesh? Jesus said the flesh is uh, no help at all. That is a universal yours and my flesh. What? <laughs> dead, nothing going on with the flesh. We bring nothing to the table. And then Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Alright? He mentioned kind of spirity, good some good life thoughts. You apply those and the Lord will bless you. Go get that new car. Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying this is the meaning, the purpose of life, the universe, and everything. Alright? This is the... He's telling you the truth. And then in verse 64, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who were... who Those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray Him. Now, pause. Of course, that's talking about Judas. But Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe. There were people... And you'll see at the end of this, that not just Judas, there are a lot of people who are fans of Jesus, but they were not disciples of Jesus, because when Jesus gave them a hard teaching, they said, forget you, weirdo, I'm gone. They weren't connected. Jesus knew that the Spirit did not give them life. There were dead zombies following Jesus thinking he's a fan. That's why I said he's a fan. They were on his fan page, but they weren't his followers. They weren't his disciples. And uh, then he said, this is why I told you, here's the controversial verse, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. In NIV, that would say um, enables or draws. In either way, it's an action of God, not an action of man. All right? That is why I told you that. N- how many people? That is why I told you that. How many people can come to God in their own good virtue? None. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. All right. This is God's work. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's, they said, Oh, you're going to be that way? You, you're going to be some super God? Well, forget it because I'm a super God. I'll just go start my own religion. And then people do the checklist I need to make them do to be saved. There. Right? Lots of people turn back after that. They wouldn't tolerate God being sovereign. Because it's uncomfortable. Because we're not. We're not God. Some people don't like that. They'd rather be God. Now, in Galatians... Paul writes a whole letter about circumcision. Because now we're going to jump back into Acts. And I just wanted to mention that, again, the debate is, when it comes to Jesus versus religion, is that the Jews are saying, in order for a Gentile to be saved, to go to heaven, they not only need to repent and yield to Jesus Christ, but then they must be snipped. That's an uncomfortable... Talk about counting the cost to be a Christian if you're a Gentile back in that day. Alright? They didn't put you to sleep. They used flint knives. You know what flint is? It's really sharp rock. Rock. It's not like an exacto knife. We're talking, I mean, these knives, you you break them and chip them and they become edges. Alright? And they dull quickly. I... That's terrible. What a religion that would be, huh? All right, anyway, Acts 15, 2 through 4. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas dove right in there. Are you guys crazy? What? This is what the scripture teaches. Bam, 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 bam. We watched these Gentiles come to the Lord. Bam, 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 bam. And they went into it, Right? Debating in the church—aren't Christians supposed to love each other? Debating doctrinal issues for the purpose of better understanding what God has commanded is very loving and very godly. All right, especially over a salvation issue. Excuse me, issue. So in Acts 15.3, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So the majority of the church are still Jews. They're the leaders of the church. And Paul and Barnabas are Jews, and they're saying, hey, we're out there talking to Gentiles, they're coming to Christ in these amazing ways, and everyone gets glory about it. However, <clears throat> some Christians who were Pharisees. Now, that doesn't mean, usually when we're talking about Jesus, you know, duking it out with the Pharisees, the Pharisees are unsaved Jewish people. These are saved Jewish people. Paul was a saved... Paul was a a Christian Pharisee. Paul's a Pharisee. Alright? So, God saved even Pharisees. Alright? Paul was one, and Christians who were Pharisees, in Acts 5 and 6. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Alright? They're bringing the Old Testament saying, Make those Gentiles follow the rest of the Jewish law. Again, it's an issue of salvation. But then Peter speaks up in Acts 15, 7-9. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers... You know that in early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now let's um, unpack what, that, what really happened. Um, if we remember, this is, actually took place in Acts. Before he was done preaching, Peter went to a, a Roman uh, dude and all his... These are all Gentiles. And as he was preaching, he wasn't even done preaching and the Holy Spirit befell on them. And they were saved. Now, the Holy Spirit can't fall on an unsaved person. Okay? So, they didn't, you know, it didn't go in this order. Peter preaching, Holy Spirit falls on them, and then he says, hey, oh, they could be saved. Quick, let's get out the religious checklist. Alright, did you get saved? Did you get baptized? Alright, alright, okay, okay. Because if you don't get baptized, the Holy Spirit's not gonna, is gonna float out of you. You don't want the Holy Spirit to float out of you, it just floated in you. So if you wanna stay saved, you better hurry up and jump through these hoops. No, what happened was, he wasn't even done. And the Holy Spirit, bam! All these Gentiles come to Jesus. They were saved while they were hearing the word of God. They were saved, sealed, and delivered for heaven. And all they did was go, and they soaked it in. And the Holy Spirit saved them. They didn't do diddly squat to deserve or earn salvation. Heaven. God granted them salvation. Um don't force religion that not even the Jews could do. So Peter goes on to say in Acts 15:10 through 12, "Now therefore we are putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear." I just got done reading 1st and 2nd Kings. All right? Maybe 3 kings were righteous of Israel and Judah. All the rest were bad. They looked at God's commandments so they could disobey them. They specifically did every possible thing to insult God. They were bad. And even Peter's admitting right here, listen, not even we Jews can keep up with the laws of Moses. We can't do it. How could we expect them to do it? And in verse 11, but we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter's now distinguishing, it isn't the law, it's the grace of God. And again, grace is a gift. If Remember, God owes us justice. And justice means every human being goes to hell for eternity. That's justice. That's what God owes you and me. Grace and mercy can only be founded on justice because grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve, but it's all based on what we deserve. Understand? So Peter's saying, um, we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Jews and Gentiles are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. See, these miracles, alright, that are all throughout these, the times of the Acts and the Apostles, is they're saving Gentiles. Gentiles are being saved, and it's all miraculous signs. So God's saying, yes, it's true. They didn't even know your Old Testament, and I'm saving them. You just told them Jesus Christ is God, and that was enough for me. Bam! They're saved. They've done nothing, and they're being healed, and they're being, they're speaking in different languages, earthly languages. A lot of these things are taking place. Alright? To, to we're God backing it up. Above and beyond the Old Testament law. Acts fifteen thirteen through 18 then James speaks. He's one of the apostles. After they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. I love that. Look how he said that. God visited the Gentiles. God did this to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. God did it. And with these words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind will, may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Now he's quoting from Amos. Uh, Verses 9 and uh, 9, uh, verses 11 and 12. In the day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches, yeah, and raise its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Edom is, is Gentiles, and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Declares the who who does this? The Lord. Alright? And for those nations who are called by my name, we've got to be careful because the word call is not like when, you know, Americans, we like to think God's going, come on, come on, you, you don't want to live that way. God like God's like and no one's listening, alright? God does have a calling. He's clearly loud. Even an atheist knows God exists, right? But this type of calling is when God calls, people go, like when Jesus says, the sheep hear my voice, right? They're going along and whoop Jesus is talking, I'm a listening. There's no there is no other response. You understand? The only response of freedom is to go, yes, Jesus. That's what freedom looks like. To go, let me think about it. That's not freedom. That's in slavery. That's evil. That's hell. Christians who belong to Christ, they hear His voice. They go, yes, Lord. Got it? Maybe that was extra stuff from the Scripture. But anyway, Acts 15, 19 through 21. Therefore, uh, James is still saying, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things that are polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from things that have been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Alright, so they're talking about the Old Testament law, Leviticus and all that. And now they're saying here is, um, well first let's dive deep into this. Why, why have the Gentiles do these things? Let's take a closer look. Polluted by idols. We know in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes a big issue about um, how Christians, people who are already saved, how should we live? Alright? This isn't a salvation issue. This is for people who are already saved. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1, and and I bookend it with 13. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And then he concludes, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So he really goes on to this big thing saying, first of all, idol isn't nothing, but the intent of the heart, because people, you know, look, we had Kentucky Fried Chicken Friday night, right? Now, if, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, if it's first sacrificed to the chicken god, this chicken is always sacrificed to the chicken god, pre-blessed by the chicken god, Christians really shouldn't go eat Kentucky Fried Chicken if it was blessed by the chicken god. All right? Because we need to make a stand that, hey, the chicken god is evil, it's an idol, don't follow the chicken god. All right? So, and that's what he's saying here. And, but as Christians, we know what's a chicken god. Who could take a chicken god? So I'm sure that in India there's a chicken god somewhere. They got a million of them. I'm sure there's one, right? And then about sexual immorality, there's tons of scripture in the Old and New Testament that the only approved physical intimacy. We'll just put this down to what is blessed by God. Is between one man and one woman in the covenant relationship of marriage. Everything else is evil. Just to make sure that's clear. Let's keep it simple. Well, what about evil? All right? It's all the rest of it's bad. So, and also, what about the strangled animals? What's the big deal with that? Right? And eating blood. Well, the two are connected. Um, In Genesis 9, uh, 3 and 4, this is what, in Leviticus, it talks about um, uh, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh With its life, that is, its blood. And it goes on to explain a little further in Leviticus 17, 10-14. If anyone in the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, you should not eat the blood of any creature, that the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Now again, the whole Old Testament sacrifice system was foreshadowing Jesus. right? And when we have our um, communion service, what do we reflect upon? The body and the blood. Because the life is in the blood. And when Jesus shed his body and his blood, one, it was for the new covenant, but it was to sacrifice. It was the blood that needed to drain from Jesus that we would be saved. It was the blood that um, covered our sins, the blood of Christ. And how many sins do we have about the blood of Christ? Now... That doesn't now. When it comes to strangled animals, if if you catch an animal by a snare and it strangles to death, where does the blood go? Nowhere. Stays right there. And if you get the, if you don't get there soon enough, what happens when you start to quarter up that animal? Where's the blood? It's, it's still in the veins. It coagulates. It's still in the body. All right. So that's why they were talking about that. That's the connection. Now, I, you know, whether it comes for for Christians nowadays. You know, how we process food. I, I'm not sure it's as relevant. It's certainly not a salvation issue. It's just how Christians should live. Alright? So, um, I don't want you to be burdened on that. It is not a salvation issue. It's how we should be sensitive to things. And like, well, some of them are definite commands. Like, uh, watch out for idols and don't be sexually immoral. And then... um just about how we eat the animals. Okay? Um, but the idea is this in Acts 15 41, and he went through Syria and Sicily strengthening the churches. So they're going with this message. And um, again, religion, we do things to go to heaven. In Christianity, Jesus saved you, so live accordingly. Life: Live a life in response to being saved. All right, so those are the two areas we dipped into deep, and I'm going to end here in just a minute. So back in Acts 15, the council agrees, and then they send out teams with these letters to all these new Gentile churches. And then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsap, right, that guy, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. And here's a few words. Uh, And this is what the letter said. It's kind of like what they already talked about. I'll read it to you in verses 23 through 29. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Sicily, uh, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction, It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements." that you abstain what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. All right? So that's the letter. None of it sells them, you're right, to be saved, you must do A, B, C, and D and then do a little dance and make sure you post it all on Facebook. They didn't say that. All they said is, because you are saved, please be sensitive and live in these ways. All right. Um, now, um, it's interesting that uh, this uh, Judas, Barnabas, and Saul—they—they're um, sent along to say because Paul and Barnabas could have taken off and said, "Yeah, no, they agree with us. They agree with us." The the, the church sent extra people to say, "No, this is true. We are in agreement on this." So in Acts 15:30 30 through 34 So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. All right, now just to give you point out something else here, we're almost done. Hang in there, hang in there. Um, these are Jews speaking at a Gentile church. They just gave them a letter, and then they stayed and kept teaching and preaching, and the Gentiles were very excited about it. And that's what I wanted to point out. So, um, but something else is getting ready to happen. Dissension in the church in the leader ranks. In Acts fifteen thirty five and 36, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, that's their home church, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now keep in mind, when Paul and Barnabas was out there sharing last time, Paul almost died from having rocks thrown at him and they actually thought he was dead. So Paul is ready to go back to these towns like that. And now there's a split in Acts fifteen, thirty-seven through forty-one. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn with them in Pamphlet with that place and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So that's how Acts 15 ends. But I want to point out just a few things. The first missionary journey is when um, uh, John called Mark... Ditched out early. This is a fight over Mark bailing on them. And Paul saying, I don't want to take that guy. He's a quitter. Barnabas, is saying, who's known as the son of encouragement, saying, no, let's bring him. And they really got into it. These two godly men, who God's using them both, miraculously had such a disagreement, they said, forget it, I'm not going with you. In your way. You just go, right? And I'm gonna go this way. Now that doesn't mean God blesses big fights. But we're giving you the idea God's using human beings in all our frailty to give him glory. If God can use these men, God can use us. So I just want to point out what that looks like. And just a reminder from last week, when you're giving the gospel message, the part, the A, B, C, admit that you're a sinner, B, believe that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross, and C, confess that Jesus is the Son of God and commit your life to Him. This is where people get stuck in A, because they don't really think they're a sinner. That's the part you need to spend the most time on. If they don't think they're bad, if they think they're okay, and they just look in the mirror and see their best friend, then they certainly don't need this. Right? If they're not feeling this, they ain't going to feel that. Spend time talking about how stinky they are. And you could say, well, how do I have a conversation like that? Talk about how stinky you are. All right? That frees it up. He can say, hey, don't worry, buddy, I'm way more sinful than you are. I am so evil sinful, the devil loves to see the things I do. Well, how can you be saved? What do you mean you're going to heaven? How can someone accuse you of being better than thou if you're the first person in the room to say you're the evilest sinner there is? Right? That liberates, that gives you the freedom to say, and guess what, you're right there with me. We both stink really bad. And then you can talk about Jesus. You've got to set that conversation. So just keep this in mind. Keep this focused as we move out into our week. The most loving thing we can do is share that ABC, the gospel. Share the gospel first, then invite them to church. But don't invite them to church without sharing the gospel first. Share the gospel first. Let's pray. Good morning, Father, for your grace, your mercy, the amazing truth of the Scriptures that reaches out and pulls us and rescues us and saves us and gives us meaning, purpose in life. Just so overwhelming. How can we truly respond to that? How can we pay the debt? Oh, we can't. Yet, Father, we can respond in love, we can respond in obedience. So I ask, Father, that where you place us this week that you would knock us in the head very clearly when the opportunity to share the gospel is there because we know you will give that and help us to make that as you've commanded. Again, so that you would get the glory and that the gospel would be proclaimed by all of us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. From Bible's websites to theology. Apps to blogs there are so many fantastic resources for christians get the latest news and reviews on what is out there to help you grow in christ the speakendeacon.com truth is here